Welcome to a brand new episode of the Tennis Lifestyle Podcast. I'm Gianluca Sola, your host. In this episode, I chat to David Samuel. Um, very excited to bring this episode. Uh, David is the author of the number one uh, best-selling Amazon book, Locker Room Power, Building an Athlete's Mind. Um, I read this book about three, four years ago. A friend of mine recommended it. And uh, I must say, it's just one of the best books on tennis in general that I've ever read. It's, it's, I highly recommend it. It's a brilliant book. Um, it talks um, about the mental aspect of the game, uh, the psychology of, of tennis, of the game. And it's just written very well, full of useful information, tips, and um, it's a must-read, um, not only if uh, you're into tennis, but in any sport or, or, or any business or anything you do in life. It's, it's just very, very, very good book. Um, yeah, David is, uh, uh, has been in tennis for over 30 years, been involved in tennis, has lots of experiences. Um, currently, he's the head coach for Team Bath in the UK. Um, he was born in Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, but um, spent most of his um, career in the UK. He was a former professional tennis player. Uh, he's been involved with the British Tennis Coaches Association, the LTA, and uh, yeah, he's been a um, professional ATP coach for, uh, for, for, for many years. Uh, he's been very prolific in British tennis, uh, coaching amongst others, um, Jamie Delgado, um, Miles McLagan. Um, currently, he coaches uh, Liam Brody and Samantha Murray. He's coached also a lot of uh, top international junior players, uh, Davis Cup players, and also players from other countries like, uh, for example, Wesley Moody. Um, what else? Uh, well, David is also... Um, as well as coaching, he writes a lot of articles on sports psychology and coaching and does consultancy and mindset workshops to um, also other um, sport teams or, or other sports. Uh, for example, he's, um, he's provided his services also to Fulham Football Club, uh, Chelsea Football Club and England Rugby. Um, his latest project also is called Mindset College. Uh, it's a brand new online coaching program that will teach you the skills you need to build a strong mindset. Um, all, these, um, uh, all this information, I will put it in my uh, episode uh, so you can um, look up all um, the contact details for David and his website and his social media and so on. Um, Anyway, just the last thing about David's book. Uh, it's been also uh, recommended by, uh, for example, Judy Murray, um, which say, who, uh, she says this is a top book by a top coach. Uh, Tin Henman also, uh, we all know this aura exists. Uh, what I like about this book is that you give it an identity. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's been praised by... Um, by many people. Um, that's about it. Um, I've probably missed a few things about David's uh, long career, 
But uh, listen to the interview. It's, it's a great chat. Uh, he, he talks about not only the book, but about uh, many other things as well. And um, to finish off, thanks for everybody for listening to my podcast. Um, it's nice. I'm getting some feedback. I really appreciate that. And please follow me, download it, like the podcast. Um, it's available on all platforms, Google, um, Apple, Anchor, Spotify, and so on. You can also find me on Instagram, um, tennis life underscore lifestyle underscore podcast, sorry, and uh, also on Twitter, G-L-S-O-L-A. Cool, that's all. Uh, enjoy the episode. Ciao, ciao. Hello? Yes. Hi, David. Yeah. Can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, yes, hi, David. Thanks Thanks very much to um, take some time to, to, to be on my podcast. Um, you're, you're currently in, in Spain in the Challenger Alicante uh, with, uh, with Liam Brody, am I right? That's correct, yes. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I saw he won yesterday. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He kind of uh, messed up his entry, and uh, <laughs> uh, he was going to try and play a tour event uh, this week. Uh, but the the new system is you have to enter qualifying and main draw separately, so it's like they're separate tournaments. <laughs> when I when I said you need to pull out of uh, Alicante, uh, he pulled out of the main draw and forgot to pull out of the qualifying. So as soon as he got in the qualifying and Alicante had pulled him out of everything else. Uh, but actually, it's, it's, it's not been a bad thing, uh, you know, right after the French to come out and have to qualify here. Uh, it's quite a difficult thing to do, you know, uh, but he, he did it and, and won his first round yesterday. Fantastic. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's uh, kind of kept the momentum going, which is, which is great. Yeah, I, I just want to introduce you because obviously um, maybe some listeners don't know who you are. Um, but uh, David Samuel, um, well, I know you because I read your book, which I will talk about later, Locker Room Power, which is is a brilliant book. Uh, but you are a professional ATP coach. Um, yes. Since 2010, you are the head coach at to Team Bath in, in the United Kingdom, um, the University of Bath. And uh, you are the author of the book Locker Room Power, uh, Building an Athlete's Mind. You currently coach Leon Brody, but um, you've coached also many other uh, players, um, including Jamie Delgado and also Wesley Moody. Uh, you're a sports consultant and writer. Uh, you provide sports psychology, coaching workshops, and um, yeah, you've also provided consultancy, which is very interesting to, to not only tennis, but to uh, say England rugby and also football clubs, um, uh, including Chelsea Football Club and Fulham Football Club. So um, yeah, you've had um, quite a, quite, I think over 30 years experience in the, in the tennis world. Um, I was very surprised. I didn't know this. I only when only when I started um, doing a bit of research that you were born in in Johannesburg. Um, 
how was it like growing up in Johannesburg? <laughs> uh, I have to say, I mean, uh, you know, you, you don't know any different, but, you know, I, I had a fantastic childhood. I mean, uh, you know, uh, it just existed of, of, of school and, and, and playing sport, you know. So, you know, yeah. I just remember, you know, cricket, rugby, tennis, just always playing sport and, and uh and you know you know in the in the school holidays i always played tennis tournaments and uh you know when 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 i didn't have an afternoon with school sport we'd all gather at the wondrous club the best players and and just play matches against each other i mean you know in, in those days I don't think I really knew what a drill was until uh, a colleague of, of mine, Mark Samuels, who who went to the States to Harry Hopman's and came back for a holiday and introduced us to, to all these different drills. Because, I mean, okay. we, <laughs> we used to just go down, <laughs> warm up and play sets. You know, that was, yeah. that, that was practice. Yeah. You know, we, may, may, and maybe today there's, there's too many drills. Maybe it should be a bit less. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I do think, uh, uh, I, I do have a theory that I think, uh, uh, you know, the young players today, um, too much of their tennis is supervised and there's mm. not enough sort of free tennis going on. You know, and, and, and then yep. the other thing is, of course, I played uh, league tennis for, okay. for my club. And, you know, it was, it was interesting because... You know, first of all, you had to break the clicks. You know, if you, you know, I remember, uh, you know, being far too good for the fourth team, but being put in the fourth yeah. team because I was a junior, and you know, all the all the men had been playing in these teams for years, and and you know, nobody wanted to drop out of a team to let a junior in. Because of course, part of the, the the attraction of league is afterward ha having some beers and and having fun. Yeah, and and you don't want to, you know, a, a fifteen year old kid <laughs> there. Uh, but uh, yeah, but uh, at fifteen, I actually won the club championships, and uh, and they kind of had to put me in yeah. the first team. Uh, but it was, <laughs> they had no option. They had no option. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was actually. Yeah. You know, one of the few times uh, I was I was a little bit uncomfortable because they they didn't make me feel that comfortable in that first team uh, for a while yeah. uh, until you know yeah. you you kind of become part of the furniture if you if you if you stay there and do well. Which club was this? Um, so I played for two clubs. I played for Northern Suburbs and then I played for Ridge Park. I don't even know if it exists anymore. Okay, uh, I, I in, in, in Rosettenville. So this is all in Johannesburg. So, yeah, I okay. mean, uh, you know, it, it was absolutely fantastic. And then I'd, I'd heard about uh, getting a tennis scholarship to the States. And I just, okay. I just wrote off to some universities. And one of the universities I wrote to was the University of Texas, uh, who okay. happened to have Kevin Curran playing there. And then okay. uh, Kevin Curran and Steve Denton came to play the Sugar Circuit, which was, uh, you know, the yeah. satellite. And uh, yeah. I remember having to go to, uh, I think it was Observatory Tennis Club, and, 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 and practice with those guys. 
and then they phoned the coach and said I was good enough and, and I got a scholarship to go to Texas. Um, and, and you were off to the USA and yeah. um, from from then on, I, I, I'm not sure, but I think obviously your, your journey, your tennis journey led you, you, you didn't really come back to South Africa, am I correct? But I never came back. I, uh, I mean, obviously, I came back for holidays, uh, but, but yeah, no, I never, I never came. So I, effectively, I left South Africa in 1979. Uh, okay. And uh, and and I've never lived in South Africa since then. Since then, um, no, fantastic. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, very, very interesting. I mean, we've. Um, I've got a lot of questions for you, and I, I, I know we can't talk too long, but I'll, I'll probably be jumping from one completely question to another. So sorry for that. That's fine. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, first of all, I want to talk about your book. Um, um, I, um, uh, well, I mean, your tennis journey I, um, – to make it, and I know then from college, I think you you went to play in the Netherlands. Am I right? And then uh, you got um, to, a job in the UK. Okay, I might be saying it a bit briefly there, yeah. but yeah, I mean, is that it, essentially, yeah. um, you know, once yeah. I finished college, uh, you know, I wanted to be a professional tennis player, and that yeah. to me, you know, the first step to being a professional tennis player is you have to make a living. You know, professional means yeah. you make your money. Um, and the only way I could survive, uh, I wasn't, uh, uh, you know, I, I was a, a good, a, you know, good college player and, uh, and, and had played satellites in the summers and had an ATP ranking already, but, but essentially I wasn't able to make enough money through playing professional tennis purely through satellites because there's hardly any money in those at all uh and there were very few challenges in those days and you had to kind of you know do really well on 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 satellites to get to play qualifying for uh tour events i mean you know the tour was much much smaller i think you know in those days were only about 600 ranked players um yeah and so uh what i found out in in my summers playing in in europe was that you could play money tournaments you know, in, in France, yes. Belgium, Holland, uh, Germany, and, and make some decent money. And, and then with yeah. that money, go and play satellites. So I yeah. decamped to, to Europe. Uh, I had a good friend in, in, in Holland, in The Hague, and uh, uh, based at the Scheveninger Club there. And I would play money tournaments, and save up my money and then go and play futures. Well, not futures, uh, uh, satellites and try to, yeah. you know, improve my ranking that way. Um, and yeah. you know, in general, most of the time you'd lose quite a lot of money playing satellites. And when the well was kind of starting to run dry, I'd have to go back and play uh, money tournaments again. And then of course, yeah. I think probably, Sorry, probably not much has changed today. It's kind of quite similar, I would say. Uh, yes, I mean it's impossible to make yeah. money on futures. You know, you just you yeah. just can't. Um, so you you yeah. know, uh, the only difference is there's a lot more challenges today than there were in in, in my day. Mm. 
So, and you can start to make a living on challenges uh, if, if, yes. if you do well on them. Um, but, you know, you, you, you pretty much probably got to be a top 300 player to be starting to make a living at, at, at challenger level, which is a high level. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's, you're, yeah. a very, you're a very good tennis player if you're top 300. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very sure. similar. Yeah. And you have to find other ways to mm-hmm. make a living. And, of course, playing for a club in Europe, uh, and I played for the Skavening Club, uh, was the mainstay of my income. And 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 yes. around that, and then of course, in the in the sort of uh, uh, 1986, 87, I decided, you know, why am I doing this all the time? Playing for money, then going and mm-hmm. blowing it all on satellites, and then having to start again. Essentially, yeah. I, I made the decision that I didn't believe that. I was good enough to to make sort of top 200 uh, and therefore why not just make a living playing tennis? So I stopped playing satellites and uh, and just made money playing tennis. Um, and then what evolved is uh, the club, the Mets that I was playing for, then asked me if I'd be player coach for the summer for the first three teams. So I did that and really enjoyed that. And then the following summer, they said, well, can you come back, be player coach for the first three teams, but also coach the, the, the top junior team? Uh, okay. And then you can maybe do some lessons, but you can also go and play money tournaments at the same time. And, and I really had two fantastic years, uh, summers really, where, where I made you know, really good money. And uh, yeah. so much so that uh, uh, most of the winter, my wife and I would just, she was an air stewardess, we'd just, she would take uh, uh, two months unpaid leave. And, you know, we actually spent uh, uh, one of those periods in South Africa for two months. And we went all over South Africa and she got to know the country well. And I actually got to know the country a lot better. Uh, cause it is an, an okay. amazing place to, to visit. And, uh, you know, for a tourist, yeah. it's just, uh, uh, unbelievable. Uh, and it was, it was yeah. kind of crazy, crazy and strange because you know, the country pretty well from your, from your childhood, but then seeing it through an adult's eyes and was, was very different, but I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah, no, great. I mean, um, uh, yeah, I've I've read up your your um, history of uh, your, your tennis journey, and yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to talk about there. But if if you don't mind, I, I want to talk about your book just a little bit um, because I, I'm a tennis enthusiast, um, and I've you know I, I I read a lot of books. I I play tennis, blah, blah, blah. I've, I've, I listen to podcasts. And um, I think three or four years ago, I'm not sure, I, I, somebody I knew said, you got to read this book. And, and uh, I read it. And I, I'm not saying this because I'm interviewing you, but I think it's the best tennis book I've ever read. It's, uh, it's so um, um, simple. Yet what you read, you're kind of saying, well, I, I kind of know this, but I never think about it. 
And um, at the same time, um, your um, um, uh, how can I say it's it's contemporary. It's it's a lot of these books that I've read go back 20, 30, 40 years. Yours is more um, uh, now, so uh, it's more relatable and and. Um, yeah, it's just an excellent book. It's it's a book uh, about obviously the, the 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 psychology and the mental side of tennis, which I think um, as somebody gets better in the game of tennis, they, they kind of realize it's uh, that side of tennis is is super important, and um, yeah, it's just a fantastic book. I mean, I I do some I've actually summarized it. And um, I, I train with, I've got a couple of sons who play tennis. And um, at the end of every session, I, I kind of um, just uh, talk about a few highlights here or there uh, from your book. And uh, it, it does make a great impact. And it's, it's, it's just, I, I would recommend it to everybody. Um, but um, what, what uh, locker room power, which uh, you, is your coaching philosophy, it's, I think you say it's desire plus weapons plus belief plus results. Um, if you have to summarize in a few sentences, lock, what is locker room power, and and what made you write this book? Uh, good question, and thank you very much for for that. And I'm really pleased that you enjoyed it. And I do believe that uh, you know uh, uh, you know every tennis player would benefit from from reading the book. Because it's something that that once you read it is very obvious. Uh, but like Tim Henman said, you know, we all knew that this existed. The thing I like is you've given it a name. Um, mm, yeah. And and essentially, the how this started is in 1996. I started working for the LTA as a national coach. Uh, basically on tour with some of the, you know, the best male players. Uh, so outside of Henman and Rosetsky, uh, I had the next bunch, which was uh, uh, Andrew Richardson, um, Jamie Delgado, and and uh, a guy called uh, Nick Gould. And we started traveling around and going to tournaments. And definitely they they had a problem and the problem was they thought that you know basically players from other countries were mentally tougher than they were and okay you know it 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 was something obviously that if you believe that someone's mentally tougher than you are it's quite hard to beat them and uh, yes and i started talking to them about locker room power and how they are in the locker room and how they are presenting themselves and and you know the fact that if if they weren't owning their own space that they'd walk into the locker room and basically almost be fans of the other players you know that wow these guys are so good and i said look i i can relate yeah. to it a hundred percent uh and it's a it's a lesson that 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 I had to learn was when when I first went out on the tour, you know, obviously, you know, Borg and you know was king and 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 Mats Vilando then was coming and 
and the Swedes had a reputation of being, you know, really cool and calm and and mentally incredibly strong. And it was yeah. very hard to beat them because you just thought, you know, they were just these, you know, ice men who didn't feel anything. And it was a myth, mm. uh, but a very good myth and, and, and helped them a lot. And it wasn't until I actually played doubles with and, and roomed with a Swede. Um, uh, I remember his last name. I don't actually remember his first name right now. Um, and this guy was all over the shop. I mean, he, he was a he was a good tennis player, but a basket case. And and in in traveling with him for for five weeks, this whole myth of the Swedes being totally together and 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 knowing exactly what they're doing and being so tough and everything like that was was blown away. And and I started to realize that I also kind of you know thought that you know Americans and and you know you know, Italians and that, you know, you know, somehow, you know, knew more and were a lot stronger than, than I was. And so, you know, I explained it to these guys. And I said, look, you know, at the end of the day, every player has their issues and their problems. And when you go out playing, you need to, you need to find out what their issues are and you need to probe them and test mm -hmm. them and, and really go at them. And don't believe this nonsense that that they somehow are tougher than you are. And 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 also we did some practical things to to put some, I suppose, fear and and also just to put ourselves on the map, which is I made sure that we get up and practice, you know, two or three times a week really early, like you know, eight in the morning. Uh, and if it was the indoor stuff, you know, six in the morning before anybody else. So they'd come to the club and see that we were already practiced or we're still already practicing. And I say to the guys, you know, this works mm -hmm. on their heads. It's like, you know, we want to be known as the hardest workers, yeah. you know, on the challenger tour and, and build a reputation and, and start to build our own locker room power. And, yes. um, you know, so I started talking to him a lot about locker room power. And then, it, it, you know, I realized how important this was. And as they got over this, they started to do very well. And, and, and the, the myth in their head that other nationalities were tougher than they were started to break down and they started to think of themselves as being, you know, tougher than, than, than other players. And of course, when they won matches against, you know, good players, I would, you know, illustrate that point to them as, listen, you know, you thought this person was mega tough. You've just beaten them, you know, that's because you're mega tough. And, and, yeah. uh, but there were definitely actions behind it. We worked very hard, yeah. you know, to, to have the substance that's behind it. And they actually were becoming better tennis players. And, and therefore, they started to understand that they had their own locker room power. And, and that really helped their careers. Yeah, because I was going to say it's, it's, it's too simple just to, to talk about it. I, I do realize it's such a complex um, discussion to have. But I mean, it's a process. You don't just wake up one morning and you're mentally no. tough, obviously. 
it's a process that uh, involves many details, many things, you know, many aspects. So it's obviously a process. And um, like in your book, uh, you, you, you talk about, I mean, I'm not going to uh, yeah. talk about all of them, otherwise we'll be here all day, but about competitiveness, weapons, enthusiasm, fear, belief, confidence, blah, blah, blah. And every all of these aspects um, are important, maybe some more than others, and, and that's what creates your locker room yes, I power. And um, interrupt there. Yeah. A big key, which I did with all of the players, and I still you know, do it to this day, is the first thing a player needs to know is what their weapons are. You know, what is it that you mm. have that can hurt your opponents? Because you have to build your game yes. around your weapons. And can, can I interrupt you? Because this is a question I wanted to ask you on weapons. Is that you go? Uh, you you say that um, you need at least two yes. weapons, and you need to work on your weapons. And obviously, people might think, well, it's a forehand or whatever, but it's not true. It can be anything. It could be your speed, your footwork, your 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 mental toughness, whatever your your flexibility. But um, you need two weapons and you need to work on those two weapons um but it um okay i i understand that but don't you um don't you feel that um if you don't uh, uh, what does that mean that's what i want to ask you i mean let's say as a junior player you've got a good serve and a forehand Do, would, are you saying just focus on those and you know if your backhand's a bit Dodgy, okay, just no, leave that. No. If, what, what do you mean by if that? If you also read, I say, <laughs> your weaknesses need to be good enough. Yes. So yeah. that you can use yeah. your weapons. So, so okay. you yes. know, if, okay, if, that's, if you've it, got a backhand that breaks down, you know, second ball, you'll, ne you'll never get a chance to use your forehand. So, you know, yeah. it's, okay. it's yeah. it, you know, and really tennis today, you know, nobody, there's nobody you can play and say, oh, just hit to his backhand and you'll win. You know, yes. everybody all round is pretty strong. But you have to have two yeah. things minimum that, that, that you know can really uh, hurt, hurt your opponents. And that if you get a chance to, you know, hit your inside out forehand or whatever, you can you can start to get on top of a point because of the weapon that you have. Um, and, and therefore, uh, you know, you got to, you get your confidence from, from your weapons, because those are the things that are going to win you the points, yes. but you have to be able to stay in the points long enough in order to use them. And of course, the higher you get, exactly. the, the, the longer you have to stay in points and you might have to use your weapon three, four, five, six times in a row before it actually wins the point, you know? Uh, and so, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's got to be, you know, a, a really good weapon and you've got to, you've got to be good enough all around to stay in points long enough, as I said, to, to use those weapons. So I'm not saying you just do not work at, yeah. at your weaknesses at all, but always your head must come around to the fact that the way you're going to win matches is with your weapons. The way you're going to stay, the way you're going to stay yeah. in matches is by 
being strong enough all round to 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 use the yes. weapons. Yeah. And you know, I mean, yeah. I, I, I would add one other thing is that one of the weapons you kind of have to have is focus, because if you don't focus yeah. uh, and and you can't concentrate, you know, for you know two hours or more, uh, you know, obviously everybody has you know, you lose a bit of rhythm and you lose a bit of focus, but bring it back and overall be able to stay, you know, in a tennis match for two hours. Um, none of the other stuff uh, will, will, will uh, actually I, work. Yes. Yeah. No, that's, you know, that's enough. I, I was going to arrive to get to that point as well, because uh, um, you talk about competitiveness and, and that for me is the most interesting personally part of your book and and what i think is is so important and um i just want to maybe ask you to elaborate on that because i i play myself and i you say that you need to attain a state of mind or you need to train your mind to stay in the present because only like that you can be competitive and i understand that completely because i mean i'm 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 a very average player but when I go and play a match, and I see this also with other kids, for example, or juniors, is it's so, so difficult to stay in the present and to focus on the present. Your mind, as you say, over two hours, you start thinking ahead, I'm going to win this easily. Oh, my God, he's beating me. What are they going to think? Your mind can start thinking a million things. Or you can go to the past and start thinking oh, if I only had uh, converted that break point and da-da-da-da-da. And there's nobody there in the present to play that point while your mind is thinking that. You call it the mind stretch, to be able to monitor yeah. the mind stretch. Now, that is incredibly difficult, in my opinion, to do. And I, I don't know if professionals are able to do that, but I'm, I'm sure they are. But is there any tricks or is that down to practice or training? I mean, I know of one thing that helps me a little bit, and I stole this from a YouTube video I saw from a coach many years ago, saying, use what's important now. So whenever you are serving or returning a point, you, you ask yourself what's important now, and your mind goes back to the present. But even that's difficult. What's your... Um, well, you talked about this in your book very well. What, 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 what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, look, this is the big challenge for every human being to stay in the present. And it's, it's, you know, you don't get paid millions of dollars to be the best in the world because it's easy. <laughs> it's very, very difficult. And, you know, mm. the, the best proponent yeah. of this by a country mile, I think, is, is Rafael Nadal. You know, he has trained his mind Mm. to always see the opportunity and and you know uh not drift into the past or the the future and and he's brought it back to the present so often that he that he's actually incredibly good at staying in the present um the in my experience there is only one way and that's discipline and the discipline is simply this Okay. Whenever you catch your mind, 
in the past or in the future, bring it back. So it's like, no, right here, right now, this point. Okay. And then... And eventually, it yeah, just and, happen. And, you know, exactly. You and I'll, I'll, over and I'll over. say to kids a lot, and, and, and the reason they don't get it is because they get tired and they, and they, they, they forget and don't really realize the importance of it. But there are matches where mm. you will have to do this maybe a hundred times. You know, you, you bring him yeah. back to the present and then, you know, a couple of minutes later or five minutes later, you realize you, you, you've been all over the place. But as soon as you realize you're all over the place, bring it back. Say, no, come on, right here now at this yeah. point. You know, and try to get a habit like before each point. Say, okay, right now, this point. Now, just because you're saying right now, this point, doesn't mean your mind's still not kind of fighting and, and you know, right here, now, this point here, but please mm. don't miss this return. No, no, mm. come on, this point. And, yeah. and this fight, you know, has to be won. And it can only be won by repetition. Mm. Bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. To almost in the end, I would say that someone like Nadal, his brain kind of knows, you know, don't, yeah, don't he doesn't go have there to do because it. even if you do, he'll bring you back anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's almost like you win the battle, yeah. your brain gets yeah. tired and it's like, okay, I give up. I'm going to stay in the present. You know, but mm. you know, this takes, yeah. you know, not one, two, five, ten yeah. matches. You know, this takes years. Yeah. years to get really good at this yeah and and most people don't have the patience to just keep at it and keep at it because it's 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 not yeah. easy and and it's 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 kind of like a battle of wills and it's the will to stay in the present versus yeah. you know the will to just let your mind run rampant and yeah do, do you sorry, and, and the last sorry thing is, no finish you know, sorry yeah and then of course that's the first battle. And then the second battle of wills is your will versus the opponent's will. And, and those mm. two battles are, yeah. are really, you know, the essence of becoming a, a, a very, very good tennis player. And there's no way around it. I wish, you know, if I had an easier way, Trust me, I would, I, I, yeah. I would, I would give it to you. But <laughs> yeah. I, I've, you know, in all my experience, yeah. I, yeah. I, I haven't found an easier way. Do Do you believe there is quite a lot of talk in these last few years, and and some players even using it? Do you believe meditation is a good um, uh, option to 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 help you in, in in this look i think meditation is a great way to calm your mind down you know and i think you know if you meditate you know once a day and also i think uh, you know with meditation it you you, you can't say i'm going to meditate for 10 minutes in my opinion or 15 minutes or 20 minutes i think you need to same thing, you need to build it. And I don't think it's really that important that maybe sometimes meditating for three minutes whenever you're feeling stressed uh, can help calm you down. 
And mm. and if you if you're calm off the mm. court, mm. for sure it's going to help you on the court. But ultimately, you can't meditate in a match. <laughs> so it, it's it it still doesn't uh, take away the the need to have this battle in your head and keep bringing your mind back to the present. Yeah, you know. If you start the match calmer and you start, mm. you know, in a good place and mentally off the court, you, you, you know, you, you meditate and, 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 you know, a very chilled person and calm and off the court. And uh, I'm sure it, it definitely has an effect of how much maybe you have to bring your mind yeah. back to the present on the court. But it's not going to win that battle for you. It still has to be done while you're playing a match. Yeah. And there's no, there's no getting yeah. away from that. Um, no, that's that's great. There's just so many things that are um, <laughs> questions I have. And um, this one, maybe I, I wanted to. It's more of a general question, but you talk about enthusiasm as well. And I think, especially uh, for let's say junior players, you need to learn to draw enthusiasm as an energy source. Um, competing and winning consistently is impossible. So you need enthusiasm, which is um, spot on. But, um, you know, you can call it enthusiasm yeah. or passion. I, I think that is in tennis. If you don't have that, I, I, I think you'll, you'll never make it, uh, no matter how good you are. What, what is your, um, and this is now, that, that's what you say, which is, you know, I, I, I agree with it 100% in your, in your book. But um, taking it a bit out, um, tennis in the present day, especially with kids, um, I don't know if you deal with a I lot of kids, to be honest, yes. but, or, you know, under 18s. Yeah. Oh, do you? Do you think there is passion, enthusiasm with tennis? Do you think? I, I'm kind of getting a very strong feeling that in today's society, I know we're always pointing the finger to technology, but, you know, the social media technology, computers, blah, 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 they are competing now. Tennis is competing not only with other sports, but with all these other things in technology that are taking time up. So the junior, so there, there, isn't, there isn't that passion anymore or there isn't that level of enthusiasm? Is it just an impression I have, or do you, do you get the same impression? Um, what, what do you think? No, I get the same impression. Uh, I think there's a disease out there called winitis. And winitis. Called, sorry? Okay. Okay. What, it's what is that? Basically, <laughs> you know, kids play tennis to win. And if they and if they're not winning, oh, okay, they they lose interest. They want to win a lot. And is well, that good or bad? It it it's bad because <laughs> wanting wanting to win is not bad, mm. but needing okay. to win as the source of your um, uh, enjoyment. For the game is bad. The, the The enjoyment has to come from playing the game, and and winning is is the icing on the cake. But they they see winning as the yeah. cake, and if you can't have the winning, then there is no cake. So why 
why be there? And I think coaches have a responsibility to explain to parents and kids Mm. what getting into tennis actually means. So, as an example, Novak Djokovic in 2013 had one of the greatest years in tennis history. Okay? What percentage of points did he win? Well, a huge amount. Well, no, sorry. Sorry, let me think better. Probably no, 51, 52 percent. But that's on the which okay, is, yeah, which on is on the greatest the, year, one yeah. of the greatest years ever. He won three of the four slams, made the final of the other. I mean, yeah. no, semis of the other. I mean, amazing year, you know. And and even then, he won uh, eleven out of eighteen tournaments, which is phenomenal. Because normally, the number one in yeah. the world wins about seven out of twenty tournaments. So they're still losing thirteen tournaments. Yeah. And that's the number one in the world. Yeah. You know, uh, that's, you know, uh, Byron Black, who was a a great player, never won a tour event, top 30 player, but never actually won a tour event his whole career. (laughs) So, uh, in in singles. Yeah. Yeah. There's many, many Uh, like that. Yeah. Right now, you know, so the, 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 the average points won between the players ranked between 40 and 50 in the world is 49%. They actually lose more points than they win on average. And matches won is generally from 30 onwards, less than 50% of their matches do they win. Taylor Fritz is 29 in the world right now, and he's winning less than 50% of his matches. Yeah. Now, I can find a player ranked yeah. 50 in the world, 150, 250, 500, and 1,000, and they're all winning 50% of their matches or, or 49% of their matches. How's that possible? Do you, know how that, mm. do you know how that's possible? Yeah. Okay. Mm, and this no. is what you know, players need to understand. <laughs> all right. The, yeah. the way the point system is, yeah. Yeah. is it's all about the runs that you have. So a player goes mm. first round, second round, second round, second round, first round, first round, second round, okay, and, and wins 50% of their matches, is going to be ranked far lower than someone who wins a tournament mm-hmm. and then goes seven first rounds in a row. And then makes a semi-final, and then goes okay. seven first rounds yeah. in a row, because they'll get so many more points for winning a tournament, yeah. and getting to a semi-finals. You know, as a crude example, if you're a if you're a junior yeah. and you win, you know, uh, the you know the uh, the Australian Open juniors at the beginning of the year, and that's like a thousand yeah. points. Um, you can lose yeah. first round. I, I, I get what you're saying. You'll be ranked yeah. top 30 in the world. <laughs> you know, and somebody else could yes. win far more matches yeah. than you, yeah. but they didn't win them in a row. So, so for kids, they yeah. need to understand yeah. that if 
you know, the best players in the world, and there's only three players who win 54% or more of their points, just slightly over 54% of their points, and that's Rafa Nadal, uh, Novak, and, yeah. and Fedra. Um, you know, yeah. if, if the best in the world are only winning 54% of the points mm-hmm. and, and everybody else is averaging, you know, around the 50% mark, you know, you 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 know, yeah. losing points is the, is is the, a major part yeah. of the game. And if 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 the best you know a, yeah. a top thirty player in the world is only winning fifty percent of his matches or a little less, you know, losing a is is a huge yes. part of this yeah. game. But I I think I think sorry to interrupt you. I read a quote once from Varinka saying. Tennis is a sport where you have to, I'm paraphrasing, you have to get used to losing. I think that was a very, um, you know, like not used as in, you know, you get no. used because you like losing, yeah, but you, it's because you're not it happens avoid all the time. It. So when yeah. the juniors yeah. need to know what they're getting yeah. into, yeah. that this is a game, yeah. the fun is trying your best to win. And it's so yeah. difficult. Yeah. But it's because today's society yes. is about a result. You, you want to know something, you Google it. And two seconds later, you've got the best answer in the world. Why go through the fuss of trying to find yeah. out yourself in, a, you know, in, 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 in the process? The process is not what is matters. And that's why it's the end result. You know, mm-hmm. too many juniors are playing. And I, I only like this sport okay. if I'm winning. Well, the reality is, you know, mm. if you're amazing, you'll win, you know, 50% of your matches. Look, you have periods where you win more, and that's when you mm. climb levels. So if you're a 1,000 yeah. in the world, you suddenly have a period where you're winning mm. 65%, uh, 70% of your matches, and you go from 1,000 to 500. But then you had a new level playing, you know, higher resistance, and and then it comes back down again until you get yeah. used to that level. And when you when your game's good enough and you're ready to go, you'll have that spurt where you win 65 percent of your matches and go to three hundred in the world. And then it rebalances again until you get good enough to move again. And and that's how the sport works. But you're never going to be winning, you know, ninety uh, percent uh, of your matches for you know, years and years, unless, you know, yeah. unless you're Roger, Rafa, Novak, you know, Halep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you know, are, the, you know, the, which... the all-time grace. But even they still lose a lot of tournaments, you know, they don't win. You know, I mean, you just have to look at yes, Novak's that's, and, and, that's and Rafa's records, like at some of the slams. I mean, Novak is what now, one in five or one in four, uh, at the French Open yeah. finals, you know, Rafa's one and four for Australian Open so, finals. Uh, you know, they have a lot yeah. of disappointment in their careers as well. You know, mm-hmm. that people don't, yeah. you know, don't realize. Don't realize, yeah. yeah. D- David, I, I, I know you haven't got a lot of time, sure. and uh, there was just a few other things I wanted to talk about but um 
uh, I'll try and go through them quickly. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, there's so much, but uh, uh, this is more, I'm just more curious. Uh, do you kind of keep in touch with tennis in South Africa? Have you got any thoughts of how tennis is in South Africa? And if you have to compare it to maybe the UK, and how is the tennis in the UK compared to other countries? Uh, yeah, if I mean, you can I, briefly, I don't if know you have any uh, ideas. a hell of a lot about South African tennis anymore. Uh, I have heard through the grapevine. I certainly see that there's more tournaments being put on again. Obviously, COVID has 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 hurt that, but that you know there seems to be uh, some better organisation starting to happen in South Africa, which you know I. Uh, I really hope is is true because the club scene when I've been back there seems to have kind of died a bit of a death. And, you know, there used to be lots of yeah, club tournaments true. that people you could go around playing, you know, and open tournaments, you know, Vitz Open, you know, Observatory Open, all of these tournaments seem to have disappeared. And, and, and hopefully, you know, the club scene, you know, has some kind of revival. And at the tournament scene, because if you don't have a lot of tournaments, mm -hmm. it's really, really difficult for players to to learn their trade. You know, you got to play a lot of tournaments to to learn your trade. Um, and I'd yeah. say in the UK, one of the 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 issues we have is I, I don't think the tournament structure is is strong enough. And the, you know, we we spend a lot mm -hmm. of money on academies and 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 training and putting you know amazing resources around players but at the end of the day mm. you know you got to learn your trade playing a lot more tournaments and and i think if you have a lot of tournaments uh it's cheaper for people to play because yeah. you know in the uk the best players okay. travel a lot to play tournaments uh which takes a lot of money yeah. and and i think that that narrows the opportunities where you know, they're, they're, if, if kids, you know, don't have a lot of money, if they can just play a lot of competitive tennis uh, relatively cheaply close to their home, uh, you, you're opening up opportunities for far more players to, to come through. So, uh, go. Would you, would you agree, sorry, would you agree that the main components in order to create a really competitive tennis country, the main components would be uh, I'm in no particular order. This is sort of what I came up with. You completely disagree. You need the right climate. You need to play on clay as a junior. You have to have tons of futures and challenges. You have, a, have, have to have a vibrant club tennis scene. And you have to leave the coaching to the private coaches, academies, and the federation must only assist or collaborate. Uh, well, what uh, do you think of that? I agree with it a lot. I think I think federations need to <laughs> facilitate more than control. Uh, and and the best way to facilitate yeah. is to have a very very good competitive structure. If you have a very good competitive, I mean, you only have to look at Italy. Mm -hmm. So many good players, and the amount of tournaments they've got in Italy. Mm. Even you know, India. India's got a lot of tournaments, and the Indian players are coming through. You know, mm. in the you know, twenty years ago, when when I'd go mm. to India, the players were 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 pretty poor. You know, you had a few 
decent ones, but the rest were pretty poor. But yeah, these guys getting wild cards and stuff into loads of tournaments and loads of tournaments, guess what? Now they can play. You know, and there's a lot of good Indian players, you know, and it's yeah. I'm convinced it's through their tournament structure. I think if you don't have the climate, that's one you mentioned, and mm. South Africa's got great climate, so and and a, and a lot of courts, and it's therefore cheap and easy to play. Same as you know, Spain, a lot of courts, good climate. In the, in the northern Europe, you've got to have the indoor courts, and you you know, and that's where I think federations can facilitate is find a way to to, to get cheap mm. court hours for kids to play uh, and and practice. Uh, and then yeah. you know the the tournament structure. So I, I you know yeah you basically hit the nail on the head. Is is uh, I think I think too many federations try to produce players and they don't need to you know you know support the yeah. well but also where, where, once you or, or they don't once you take to. good yeah. coaches and take them into mm-hmm. a federation. And give them a salary, and and they're not really accountable for what happens to the players. It takes a very yeah. rare individual to yeah. keep the same motivation and the same uh, mm-hmm. desire and hunger for their kids to do well. Yes. Because if they don't do well, the next ones come along, and and that's why private keeping these better coaches out private, yeah. competing with the rest of the world is far healthier and, you know, have some kind of bonus system or whatever, where if their players do well, you know, their academy gets some bonuses or whatever, if the Federation has the money to do that, um, which I think, you know, yeah. would be, would be very healthy, you know, if you, and, and, you know, you just have a, a, a system mm-hmm. where if, if, if I'm coaching a player for six months, and then he leaves me and goes to another coach and the end of the year bonus for his ITF ranking or whatever is a thousand pounds. We both get 500 pounds or if it's three months, you just do it pro rata. Uh, but that way, you know, you could feed some money into the yeah. academies through the, the kids doing, you know, if they win nationals, you know, they get, you know, I don't know, you know, 5,000 pounds. Uh, yeah. that goes yeah. to the academy that coaches the kid, you know, or the coach that coaches the kid. Uh, yeah. and, and that way you, yeah. you know, yeah. people can select the coaches that are doing the best. And, and if, if coaches take that money and don't reinvest in players and stuff like that, very soon they'll stop producing players and, and people will vote with their feet uh, for, for the best coaches. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but I think, you know, also, I do think yeah. that, that coaches and federations have a responsibility to explain what a wonderful sport it is for teaching resilience in the real world and that, you know, mm-hmm. you have to learn how to come back over and over again from setback after setback because losing is such a big part of tennis. And, and it's... And it shouldn't be seen as a bad thing. It should be mm. seen as a real positive. That you know, this is this is a, an amazing sport for your yeah. mind. Yeah, D- David, I, I I don't want to keep you too long. I I see we've got like I've got 10 if, if you, if, yeah, I don't know if you've got ten minutes. Yeah. I I've got this. 
10 minutes. I have, uh, I usually end my podcast with um, a mega rapid fire okay. quest, uh, uh, quiz. Um, <laughs> you can keep it very short. It's nothing too, can I, um, can I just say something too complicated. Uh, in terms of uh, um, the mindset stuff yeah. and everything, obviously I have sure. a book, Locker Room Power, but I've also developed an online program called Mindset College. Yeah. So mindsetcollege.co.uk. And uh, yeah. uh, by the end of this month, it'll be uh, totally ready. It's, uh, it's, it's got nine modules and it's, it's, it really takes you through how to deal with fear, comparison, expectation, judgment, you know, all of the things that, 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 that happen in tennis players' That's minds. Awesome. And there's a lot of resource material and everything around it. So, um, you know, if people are interested, you know, go and have a look at Mindset College. And uh, it, it's, it's really, an ad- in addition, you get the book Locker Room Power as part of the pack as well. Uh, and it's, it's a very comprehensive mental skills program that uh, uh, I'm going to be, you know, rolling out to some academies and colleges who, you know, who to have as, as, as a foundation okay, for the program. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, I'll definitely, I will, all this info, your website, all your social media, I'll, I'll add it to the episode as well. And uh, so people can, uh, just um, you know, go and follow you. Brilliant. Your, uh, and if you send me a website copy, I'll and put what it you're doing on, and, on my and stuff and on see if we can, media. you know, yeah. help help your podcast reach more people. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Um, okay, now just back to the rapid fire. It's very, it's lots of little questions just to maybe get yeah, to know you I'm a little ready. bit better. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> What is your very first memory of um, tennis? Playing actually against the wall on my tennis court, playing matches against the wall. Loved them. Okay. Define what type of player you are if someone has never uh, seen you play tennis. Yes. <laughs> Struggle to survive in the game today, but a servant volleyer, <laughs> a very aggressive player. Is is there a pro that would you would um, that resembles you, or you um, resemble them in the style of play? Going back a while, I mean, I I, ser- I, I mean, a, a big hero for, yeah. of mine was Pancho Gonzalez. I try to model my game on his. his. So I mean, probably mm-hmm. nobody remembers him at all, but uh, that okay. that was my my role model. Probably okay. would have won no, no, a lot was... of Grand Slams if you hadn't gone okay. pro. Best shot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, best shot. Your best shot. Seven forehand. Uh, is there any current player that you really enjoy uh, watching? Uh, Male or female? For different reasons, there's a few. I mean, aesthetically... Federer at his best is just fantastic to watch. Uh, I love Nadal for the way he solves problems. Um, I think uh, uh, Djokovic's length is just consistently incredible. Um, 
uh, in the woman, I do like watching Halep. I think, uh, you know, when she's in a fighting mood, her movement is incredible and her ability to, to counter punches is, is, is quite incredible. And then I quite like watching Kvitova because, you know, it's kind of shit or bust. <laughs> but she hits a big, okay. she hits a big, big ball for, for, <laughs> for a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, list the big three from Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic from your favorite Ooh. to least favorite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, as I said before, I can't really because for different reasons, uh, you know, I think aesthetically, Roger, I think, you know, athletically movement and length, I think Djokovic for, for the mental side and, and the ability to solve problems and, and evolve as a, as a player, uh, Nadal, uh, just amazing. So. Best tournament. Yeah. So I sat on the fence. There. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. With good <laughs> reason. <laughs> Uh, it's fine. <laughs> uh, best tournament in the world. Um, it's it's close. This, I mean, Wimbledon because I'm so familiar with it. Uh, it's just a phenomenal tournament. Uh, uh, I also like the Australian Open a lot. It's it's such a casual kind of slam with a lot of space and just very very comfortable. Um, you know, uh, and then at a, at a, at a different level, I think, uh, Indian Wells is an amazing tournament as well. Uh, uh, funny enough at 250 level Santiago, which was a new tournament that I went to yeah, really, really, really nice tournament. So well organized, okay. uh, Jaime Filo, I don't know if you remember him. Uh, very good player from a long way back. His family run the tournament, and what a great job they did! Yes, okay. Uh, so, Santiago in Chile, okay. No, that's interesting. Um, what's your uh, favorite surface? Uh, I actually hmm, probably grass. Right. But I love watching tennis um, on play. Do you <laughs> have an... Okay. <laughs> do you have a favorite all-time yeah. racket? Very little-known racket, but it was the, the, the Graffat Schnauert midsize. A gr gray racket. Yeah, what an amazing Okay, racket. I think I know that one. Okay. <laughs> um... This one's a bit, bit, bit different. You need to book a restaurant and you can only invite three players, male or female, any era. Which restaurant Ooh. and which players Ooh. do you invite? Wow. Uh, what a great question. <laughs> uh, I will start with a setting that I... Which restaurant? Wow. 
I mean, I've some great restaurants around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just one um, of your favorite, let's say. There's a restaurant in Paris that's on the top of, uh, I think it's a Marriott Hotel, a rooftop. Uh, it's right next to Roland Garros. Uh, and it's a rooftop restaurant. And you've got a view of the city, uh, you know, good food. Uh, so I'll, I'll select that for the moment. Um, uh, uh, and who, three players I'd invite. Roger for sure. Um, Martina Navratilova. And okay. Pancho Gonzalez. Okay. That's that's nice, nice combo. Very nice. And and the food uh, there is Moroccan French, French, I'd imagine. So it's a, it's a, it's like a fusion of Moroccan oh, okay. and French. Nice. It's a very interesting, some very interesting dishes. Uh, 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 do you like cooking? <laughs> um, Fa favorite food? <laughs> I mean, I go through phases. I'd say I really like Mexican. Um, yeah. Yeah. I really like Mexican. Mexican. You know, Yes. Yeah. Do you bry? You still bry? Bry either, and that's the thing is, I mean, it, it's <laughs> food. You think, I mean, a great Indian, good Thai curry. I mean, wow, I love food. So, so <laughs> there's, uh, you know, uh, anything. There's never a shortage of great stuff to eat. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I love so much uh, different foods. I might not like cooking it, but I do love eating it. <laughs> Yeah. Pizza. Like, like eating. <laughs> do you have a uh, favorite pizza topping? I mean, I'm, what do you go for? My standard is ham pizza. and mushroom. Yeah. Okay. Tea. Uh, tea or coffee? Uh, uh, favorite cocktail if you drink? I think, I mean, I'm not really a cocktail person. So, uh, I'd say probably uh, whiskey and ginger ale. Okay. Um, do you have any interesting hobbies? Uh, mm, oh. I mean, I like walking in the hills. I really do like that. Uh, and I love reading. Okay. So not very interesting. Okay. Not very interesting. Um, see, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's <laughs> no, not, not true. Readings, readings good. Um, uh, if you have to choose sea, city, mountain, or countryside, city, mountain, which one do you prefer? Or sea. Um, or sea. I think I'd go see, yeah. See. Um, a lot of tennis players are superstitious. Um, no. are, are you superstitious? I try to not. I try to. I mean, 
It's not easy, uh, but I'm trying to knock it out of players. You don't need luck to win. You don't need. You don't need. Uh, but you know, then they go and see Nadal is incredibly okay. superstitious. So, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, most players have some kind of superstitions, yeah. but I try to knock it out of them. Okay. Um, your favorite country to visit? Uh, it can't be. Um, let's say South Africa or the UK. Italy. And I would really like to discover okay. more about uh, Chile and, and South America. Okay. Watching. Uh, is there other sports you enjoy? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I yeah, really love watching or playing sports. I, I think I have. I have a pretty good knowledge of a, a huge amount of sports from NBA basketball to, um, you know, rugby, cricket. I pretty, I follow, okay. I follow a lot of sport, you know I mean? You know, I'll even follow results in snooker and, and I, I, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'll, 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 there's not a lot of sports where I don't know something about, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it is, a, I suppose, in a way, maybe, I've never thought of it this way, but I suppose that's a hobby of mine is, is I kind of keep up with, with a hell of a lot of sports. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I'll even, you know, seven um, rugby. Would you say? You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a sport. I suppose I'm a sports nut. Yeah. <laughs> nut. Um, is tennis so, the yes. most difficult sport in I the think, world? Uh, you got the mental is such a big part of it. Physically, you have to be in such great shape uh, and and all round strength. Um, I don't, you know, there, there are sports that will match it. Golf, obviously, mentally is 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 a huge challenge, but I don't think physically you have to be in the same place no. as tennis. Uh, you know, if you see, you know, the French Open final, you know, a couple of days ago, I mean, the enormous uh, yeah. athleticism and, and, and sustainability over hours uh, and to mentally stay on it with all of that physical output, I think. And it's obviously gladiatorial one-on-one, -on -one, uh, different surfaces, you know, different balls, so many different conditions, indoors, outdoors, you know, it's so varied. I'd say that you have to be incredibly adaptable and versatile to play good tennis. It's yeah. I, I don't think there's a tougher sport. Yeah. Do you think in 2050, so 30 years from now, tennis will be very different or will it be much it's a great question that you know because you 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 always sort of wonder how it can evolve much more than it has i mean i certainly have some inklings as to where it can go um uh i think i think it uh, again, I think everything will still be faster. I do think that that all-round tennis will be, you know, the the ability to 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 come forward 
to the net more than is happening at the moment will will reemerge. Uh, I think you know we talk about weapons and weaknesses. I think the the, the gap between weapons and weaknesses will narrow and keep, continue to narrow. Uh, you know, it's but but I can't okay. imagine it being vastly different from how it is today because I can't imagine, you know, how much harder people can hit the ball and and you know three or four mile an hour more. So it will definitely get quicker, quicker but, uh, and 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 a little bit more round. But I think it will still be, yeah. uh, you know, quite recognizable to today's. Mm. Okay. And okay, uh, nearly finished. Your all-time tennis player. I'm gonna give you all the shots and options. Yeah. You just name a male or female or any era. Pete you Sampras. have to pick one. Serve. Return. Mm. I say Novak or Andre Agassi. Forehand. I'm going to say Rafa Nadal. Mm. But I've mm. always thought he's After this French Open. Very difficult to <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, uh, backhand. Backhand. Uh, yeah. I think there's a difference between one and two hands. So, I mean, one-handed, I'd go uh, Stan and... Uh, Hennen and, and two-hander. Uh, okay. I'll put Andy Murray up there. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Volley. Edberg. And Martina for the women. Martina. Uh, drop Sorry, sorry, volley was never. Uh, move. And, oh, do you want to give a minute and, one? And, um, and Edberg. Uh, drop oh, shot. Yeah. Uh, well, until the final, I would have said Novak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it didn't work very well in the first game there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, drop shot. Mm. Mm. <laughs> on his day Kyrgios yeah checking no. out yeah um, yeah checking out you know I, I, I've got this memory <laughs> of Francois Deux I mean probably people haven't heard of a French Open champion a long time ago but amazing drop shot uh, uh, yeah go and look it up <laughs> okay okay I will I will uh, movement. Uh, I'd say Halep and Novak. Yeah, yeah that's that's easy. Uh, uh, mentality. Two, two I think I know what you're going to say here. <laughs> I mean, Borg, phenomenal in that. You know, okay. Yeah. There are players who you know, like Sampras and and. And and you know Nadal, mm -hmm. who very seldom show negative, Federer. 
but they will show a positive. And Borg never showed negative or positive, mm. which mentally is incredibly... I don't think it'll ever happen again, actually. Mm. It's, it's just a phenomenal controller. It's just, uh, wow. You know, mm. so, you know, I, I, I've never known anybody mm. to not show the positive yeah. or the negative. Probably McEnroe. Uh, touch. Feel. Touch. Okay. And last one, uh, personality. You have to choose on-court, all-round personality, off-court. Uh, it depends whether you're looking for bad boy or, 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 or good boy or good girl. Um, <laughs> I think overall impact... <laughs> I mean, for longevity and impact, you know, you got to say Fedra. For immediate impact, Boris Becker, when he won Wimbledon at 17 mm. and 18, I mean, phenomenal impact. Uh, you know, okay. so, you know, there, there are different reasons. Yeah, you know, Nastasi yeah, for yeah. just craziness. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Borg. Yeah, and probably both for uh, bringing people, tennis you know, to superstar, the world. You know, maybe. first sort of yeah. like rock star type, you know, huge impact. Yeah. So, yeah, for different reasons, different personalities. I mean, mm. you know, uh, but I mean, I think we've been very lucky with Nadal and Federer and, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, in this era, you know, and the four of them, Novak and Andy and stuff. I mean, there, there's been yeah. a lot of, you know, great stuff together at the same time yeah okay uh we we are nearly finished the last question and then i'll leave you you've been really really nice um oh, ask wow. yourself a question and answer it no. <laughs> it I doesn't mean, have to be personal it can be any is and, and I think it's a good question for anybody to ask themselves is how much of a hypocrite am I? Because we, we, <laughs> we're all got, okay. you know, our, our, our lenses that we look at ourselves with and, and we can all be hypocritical as people, you know, that's just part of human nature. And I think, you've got to try to to humble yourself and say, you know, look for the places where you're being hypocritical. And I think that can keep your feet on the ground pretty well. Yeah, fantastic. Very nice. Thank you. Um, thank you, David. I really, really enjoyed this. I mean, I, it was really nice speaking to you. As I said, I love your book. And um, I've taken so much from it and learned so much from it. And uh, it's just been really, really nice to, to be able to, to talk to you. And thanks for giving Thank you. your time. And, and I hope also uh, yeah. good luck with the tournament. And thanks for and, having me um, on the podcast. And yeah, really and, and great, great speaking to you. And uh, <laughs> had, had, had me, me rocking and rolling there. So fantastic. <laughs> and, and good luck with this project. And I hope it goes from strength to strength. <laughs> Okay, take, take care.
Cheers. Great. Okay, thanks a lot. Have a good day.